0: Shaila <clears throat> Sh- große- <throat> and I <clears throat> would like to welcome each and every one of you uh, here this evening. We have a week-long uh, retreat together, and on the theme of meditation and inquiry and non-duality. <clears throat> Shaila and I, just before uh, coming to the hall, were uh, Uh, in the uh, the staff room talking and it's um, 23 years that we've uh, known each other and taught uh, uh, together here on the West Coast previously, last year and uh, also uh, in uh, India and uh, Shaila has the uh, distinction of having spent is it more than seven years in total, uh, in retreat? Not doing retreats over seven years. Seven years in retreat. East and West. I don't know of any teacher with uh, uh, such a, um, a record, a Guinness Book of Record <laughs> there. So she has written uh, a book which will be published next year, a bit of advertising for you on um, the depths of meditation practice. Delighted that she's with us. Some years ago, uh, Shaila uh, was involved in a road accident and had quite some impact upon her back. So uh, she may be making the transitions, I think between three or four postures over the seven days, so that she can be a good friend to her back. Mm-hmm. Kneeling posture. I made my bed over Horizontal posture. Mm-hmm. Walking interview posture. Mm-hmm. Chair posture. This is meta for the back. Mm-hmm. And somehow, seven years ago. It's impressive. So, uh, in the, the theme... Uh, of uh, the retreat. I'd like to speak to you for a little while, touching on an aspect of uh, the Dharma. Shaila will then uh, follow up um, with a little bit about the uh, programme and uh, some uh, other aspects of our time here together. Going from um, and looking at the everyday life, and taking into a moment the, the teachings of uh, uh, non-duality, and just a little bit, forgive me, of uh, history here. <clears throat> For those of you, and plenty of practitioners uh, here, know of the Buddhist texts, have read some of them, have read some commentaries on them, but old and uh, contemporary, and one won't find the word, in the teachings of the Buddha, non-duality. will explain it in a moment. And many centuries ago, at that period of time, it meant one particular thing. The union, this is a history lesson, a union of Brahman, meaning God, with Atman, meaning the soul. So non-duality meant the fusion, the meeting of Brahman, God, with the soul. And this view, alive then, <clears throat> still alive today in India, of course, the Buddha regarded as a view, understand, as a belief, as an interpretation of experience. And rather than use the language (coughs) of non-duality I mean the fusion of the soul with God instead looked at dualities which are clearly self-evidently relevant to our daily lives as (coughs) men and women on the earth and the way (coughs) they impact upon us and regarding it as a vital dharma, as a vital duty to attend to. Included in these dualities, of which, like night follows day, some of them will arise in your life and our life, as we sit here and walk here over these seven days, these dualities will appear. And it takes quite some degree of wisdom, interest, clarity and focused uh, attention and exploration so that there is no weight to them. And the Dharma, uh, the Buddhist Dharma, um, identifies Four pairs, four dualities, which have the potential and may have quite some impact upon our daily life, upon our consciousness. One pair success and failure. Whoa. This is an extraordinary, (coughs) gives extraordinary. potential for the I the arising of the self the me to enter into involvement with a situation with a result with a state of mind and interpret it in the language of success and failure And how easy it is in which the two, success and failure, fused and caught up together can bring about within us either with success a huge injection into the ego arrogance, conceit the notions of self-importance being somebody special having achieved and the corresponding attitude to others that goes with it that whole sense of I know the imposition on others sometimes we who are parents do it with our children (coughs) we want our children to live like we live They may not be so enthusiastic. They've lived with us for a long time. Or with the notion of failure. I tried this, my marriage, it fell apart, it collapsed, it was a failure. I've never done anything good with my life, I'm a failure. I've never succeeded at anything. I keep trying I'm not getting anywhere and we're haunted in this uh, ego mad culture that we live in with notions of success and failure we could go to school I was lucky enough to only go to school from the age of 5 to 15 called good karma and uh, Others went for much longer than I. Some some of you may have gone for twice as long as me. Some never left school. How easily in the movement towards qualifications, towards passing the exam, towards a good thesis, towards whatever... There's something uncomfortable weaving through the actions. And this, and this uncomfortableness can be fear. Fear of failure. Fear of not succeeding. Fear of it not working out. Whatever it might be. This duality surely requires our attention. And sometimes on the back of success... I get a good job, I make money. On the back of it, I can make more money. I can do this better. We can be driven. And the success could be the intimation of failure elsewhere. Driven hard at work, neglect of one's loved one. So a responsible man, a responsible woman caring and sensitive to life is going to say to ourselves, myself, ourselves let me be honest am I driven by the ideology of success and failure of the competitiveness that goes with it? Is it a movement in my my life? Am I constantly thinking I haven't done enough. I should be doing more. There should be more people coming to me or whatever. Oh, I looked at that clearly enough. So I'm not a prisoner to it. I have a daughter in London, Mashona. And my, as I refer to him, bless him, my son out of law. <laughs> So my daughter has two children, one aged uh, six years, name's Kai, and daughter, my granddaughter, nine months, Uh, Dene, D apostrophe N A E. It's an American Indian name, like Nishona, like my daughter's name. So the good father, Jonathan, is a runner. Not from the FBI, by the way. (laughs) He's a 100-meter runner. The world of success and failure is pretty strong in his life, I have to say. And these guys are going at a gallop. 10 meters a second. 100 meters. 10 meters a second. He's flying. In his world, to come second is to lose to have anyone in front of him at the 100 metre mark or the 200 metre mark is failure and when a guy named Powell a couple of weeks ago just broke the world 100 metre record in the semi-finals running in 9.74 seconds my son out of law was not a happy man a slightly wow was a good, good run But the secondary sort, is he on drugs? guy just can run fast. He ran very, very fast. And I use it, both as a simple fact. But in a way, it's a metaphor. If you and I, in our meditations, in our daily life, here or elsewhere, are engaged in a lot of comparing... Ourselves with others, ourselves with our peers. Are we a prisoner to two of the worldly conditions called success and failure? And have we ploughed too much attention into this as a priority in our life? If so, what's the cost? What's the cost? We have to dig deep. Another duality that the Buddha referred to is gain and loss. is another one that kind of weaves its way through consciousness which, again, endorses and encourages us to measure. And there's something in us, in a way it's a little bit secular, it's a little bit religious, it's a little bit indoctrination from our peers, from our educators, from our religions or whatever, that somehow or another we are not good enough. We're sinners. (coughs) Or we haven't succeeded, or we haven't got enough. And there's a view, and it's a view that carries with it at terrible cost, terrible cost, that the purpose, a primary purpose of life is to gain, is to have. And this movement in the field of time goes from the first idea, which is not true, But the idea carries a weight to it. I don't have enough. Whatever it is. The obvious would be money. Goods. The home that I would like. The material world. Then it might go to the mental world. I don't have enough information. I don't have enough knowledge. I need to go that lovely mantra of this country I need to go back to school <laughs> then I will get more whatever that might be and have more of that or it might be emotional life I don't have enough love I don't get enough love in my life and then I'm thinking ways I might get more love in my life and then but I've got all of that, I'm still not satisfied. I don't have enough spiritual experiences. So I come on retreat. You might well go home after I said that. I understand. <laughs> I need more spiritual experiences. I need something divine, mystical, Uh, I I need those things that I've read about in those books. I want a taste of what the the, the Buddha had two and a half thousand years ago. Or Kensha or Satori or enlightenment, liberation of cosmic consciousness or transcendent experiences or and bless us as human beings. if we just stand still then we're going to be just left with the here and now and some are encouraging us to do that but sometimes we've looked at the here and now and said well frankly it's not exactly a thriller minute is it (laughs) and then we're on the horns of a dilemma if I want something it's the gaining idea, it's the material world, it's the informational mental world, it's the emotional world, it's the spiritual world. If I don't want, then I'm just going to be left with this moment. No matter how many books are sold about it, I can't get over the moon about it. And then my duality is, oh my gosh. I don't feel totally fulfilled in the moment. And if I want then I'm reacting against it. Oh. Oh. Oh dear. Sometimes we have the great difficulty for the self, the manifestation of the I in the moment, that in the very having is the seed, often unbeknown to us, Of its own dissolution. In the very sense consciousness, I have something, it itself can become a non having. I'm not only referring to marriage, anything, anyone, inwardly, outwardly. What's the wisdom? They can recognize that the human being, you and I, have a relationship to having. I can say, look, I have this jacket which I bought for six pounds in the second-hand shop in Totnes High Street. I've had it years. I know it shows. (laughs) I've got this card in my shirt in the marketplace in in, in Delhi, etc., What else have I got? Oh, I got this for my 60th birthday to uh, record the Dharma talk my Dharma friends uh, bought. I've also got some music on it as well. It's better than the talks. So I said, look, I have this. I have a daughter. I have a granddaughter. I have, I have, I have. Of course I have. I have I have a home. Instantly forgettable, but it's a home. Is there enough wisdom to know that in the having there is the non-having? If there isn't good luck Christopher. Good luck to all of us. There's no assurance in this extraordinary and unpredictable existence that you and I live in including having a life. that it gives any assurance, any affirmation of any continuity. I know the the Buddhist world says, oh, see impermanence. It's become like a, a sordid mantra. It's more vital that we look <clears throat> at the small areas of life And they are small in the scheme of things. Were you in a sense earlier rather than later there is a vulnerability? (laughs) Yesterday we had a one day workshop down the hill in the lower realm. (laughs) (laughs) Forgive me. And um, <clears throat> it was called Before I Die. It was a nice crowd of uh, people and lots of uh, good friends. And I gave an invitation. anyone who would like to come <coughs> to the front. To start off a sentence, <coughs> <coughs> pardon me, with the words Before I Die. And one person not unusual all of us various times may have known this said that she had lost her husband her husband had left her last year, I think, etc. And of course these things can be very distressing Painful, the unpredictable, the walkout, the goodbye, for whatever reason, sometimes known and unknown to both people. And to her credit, to her everlasting credit, she was working and struggling to, to express that act of forgiveness that act of letting go as deep down, as she told all of us, she didn't want to live in anger towards her husband. She didn't want to live anymore in anger towards her husband. And it can be for us here, we're just going quietly through the day, and suddenly the pair that duality arises of the having and the not having and is there wisdom in the relationship to it the sign of non-wisdom is the suffering understand the sign, the indication of unhappiness blame reactivity anger Fear is the sign, the wisdom isn't there. Because wisdom is outside of that scope. Wisdom is the ability to see what is and attend to it clearly and hopefully lovingly. No matter what. No matter what. We never know on the old beloved meditation cushion. Because we're human, we're innocents abroad in this world. What's going to arise? Shaila and I, we'd just be thrilled if it was bliss and happiness for you all morning, noon and night. Oh, we'd be so happy, it'd be such a nice job, wouldn't it? (laughs) Hmm? We can wander down the hill and have a few extra coffees, everything. But in the realism of life, in the wonder and the turmoil of it, there is a strong unpredictability about it, about ourselves, let alone about events around us. Yet, in all of this unpredictability, in all of this anicca, this change, these uncertainties that are going on, it has the capacity to wake us up. To really look into success and failure, gain and loss. Another praise and blame. Praise and blame. This is where we had two ears, you know. It's not for better hearing. One's evolutionary designed for the praise, and the other one's for the blame. And there's a huge tunnel <laughs> between the two ears. And if we're enabled in allowing the praise to pass straight out, it's the best way to allow the blame to pass the other direction. Some of us get more blame than praise. Praise and blame. So sometimes when I have to do the undutiful thing of having to look in the mirror for a shave, I remind myself, "Oh, Christopher, <coughs> <coughs> One big ear, <coughs> One big ear. <laughs> like Prince Charles.) <laughs> Don't tell him. And um, you might send me to the tower. And um, once more, later. <laughs> the catching, the catch, To the allow. to let it pass through. Because human beings in the movement of life are so extraordinarily tied up with the movement of intention, action and result think about what matters to you think about the rhythm of your own life how much intentions, actions and results the welfare of the being hangs on them and they shouldn't, but they do And in that movement that goes on with us There perhaps has to be, <coughs> me, be a shift of the results, of the result, because we're obsessed with results, obsessed with it. And more to a greater conviction in life on the expression and the movement of the life. The action of the life, as the Buddha says, right action, meaning a conducive action, a nourishing, a fulfilling action. And if you and I are dependent on the results, that dependency will most noticeably manifest either in the other person's interpretation of you, or in our own. With the dependency on the result <clears throat> it's going to be in one or two directions, or both. How I interpret the result and what I make of it. And for that one can really build up praise oneself. Or the blame. The fault-finding, the irritation, what's wrong, or reliance <coughs> on another or others. A uh, uh, member of the now uh, gone from this world, but a member of the family was in the theater actor. two of his biggest nightmares one was first night performance and I remember going to see him in the theatre years ago actually in his hotel room before the theatre and his wife came out and she said oh I'm sorry Derek, his name was Derek Um, uh, he can't speak He's on some tranquillisers. I wasn't even allowed into the family member, into the hotel room, to the suite. The curtains were all drawn. And he was there, in the room, waiting with terrible apprehension for the first night. And one would have thought that would be relief. Got over the first night, gets in, oh, not a chance. (laughs) No, no. (coughs) The night, (coughs) (coughs) at the end of the first night, it was yet another sleepless night of terror, of reading what the critics would say in the morning about the play and about his performance. It isn't easy to, in the field of praise and blame, to stay steady with the trust with, with what one has to offer and share. To give it such a primary value that the self of the self oneself, or the self of the other or others is much minor in consideration. Otherwise our life, our consciousness is dependent on self and others. And similarly I say I <coughs> have a slight itch in the, th- in the, uh, in the throat. I just left uh, the disunited kingdom on uh, Wednesday, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I flew seven and a seven-and-a-half-hour flight, you know what it's like, to New York, bless New York. <laughs> Little chest irritation, two nights in New York, New York at the open center, then the early start, then the next day, down in the other realm, etc. But rather nice, nice, easy day today. but the staff look after me I've got enough lozenges for a lifetime <laughs> herbal tea galore correctly pronounced horrible tea in India I love coming to America but it's, frankly it's very hard to get a decent cup of tea in this country <laughs> and my dear German friends say As far as the coffee goes, here it's black water. (laughs) But otherwise we love you. (laughs) So sometimes here, during the days, the days of the talk, with the uh, teachings, especially sometimes for myself, I do, will, may, say things which infuriate people, I have to say. Really, really, really gets people upset. Not only people in the Dharma Hall, but the powers to be down the hill. (laughs) (laughs) Bless them. And so sometimes people have to, uh, should we say, exercise their Concern, they're, 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 they're right, which is fair enough. And so sometimes, some people do in the hallway get up, not quietly and mindfully like Tik Nathan, you know. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> get up furious with me, very indignant, and storm out. The store the door goes over there etc happened last year well I could say fair enough and as I've said a few times over the years sometimes some of the things that I say, if I was sitting in the audience I would get up and walk out <laughs> so I fully preserve everybody else you know, to, to do that and sometimes people think I do it to be provocative, honestly hand on heart not too close up <laughs> I don't intend to be provocative or controversial or whatever but I also don't use notes so once it's said, it's said it's out there, I can't say oh. <laughs> I'll take it back You know, I might say, well look, I'll apologise in my next lifetime etc. So if, or sometimes a person will say, oh, giving this person too much attention, or not enough attention, or whatever, all the things that can happen, all you have to do, is very simple. You write a letter of formal complaint about Christopher. You give it to Ruby, the manager, who was the former chairperson of the board of trustees, and they will pass it on to the teachers' council and various other centres, and that's your right. That is. Clear? That's what you can do. Keep your protest alive. So we look at the movement of success and failure. Gain and loss. Praise and blame. And we ask ourselves, we want to be honest. Truth and honesty are very close together. Is my life, this is the honest question. This is the inquiry of the many. Is my life giving far too much time to these dualities? Is it filling my consciousness? Morning, noon and night. Have I got to such a shrunken state of consciousness? that That's more or less all I do think about. What am I losing? What am I missing out on? What am I neglecting? What's happened to me? Am I frozen into, into the field of desire which our secular culture wants from us. And the other, which of course is bound up together, is the area of pleasure and pain. And when you and I, we look at these dualities, and we see their movement, their interfacing, their interactivity, <coughs> we see <coughs> excuse me for a moment, we see that they're not separate from each other. To use a kind of the Buddhist technical language for a moment, they are dependently rising conditions. And sometimes in our moments, and hopefully deep moments, and this is where our meditation comes in, this is where our inquiry comes in, our interest in non-duality comes in, we have the sense the feeling, the experience, the intimation. Yes, those conditions do have some movement in our life. Yes, you and I have to be realistic about the dynamics of them. We're not going to be romantic idealists, etc. We say, yes, we we do have to deal with praise and blame, success and failure, pleasure and pain, gain and loss. Yet, there's a lot, 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 lot more that matters than just that. What is it? What is that? What is that? Sometimes, the Buddha uses um, Lokya Lokutara And quite often, because the world of those four pairs, those eight worldly conditions, is so often used (coughs) in the kind of secular, materialistic, consumer culture, as we know. With all the healthy, the unhealthy aspects that go with it. And sometimes religion has been the Escape the other view. I just read, finally, I'm rambling on a little bit here, my economist co-teacher here, still looks steady. <laughs> Bless her. Um, I just read a remarkable book, a novel, and that's a sideways step for a moment. Do not think That truth is confined to non-fiction. No relationship. Truth emerges and touches us. And I'll talk about that another day. So this is a novel called by Mikhail Bulakov. Russian novelist. Called The Master and Margarita. Written in the 1930s in Stalinist Russia and it's about the dynamic of religious view, belief the man from Nazareth the devil incarnated atheistic society not so different from today by the way, all this can you and I even though we're in a Buddhist-flavored environment <laughs> this is the understatement of the year. <laughs> Keep ourselves well away from Buddhism. Bless it. Not endeavor to bring in Buddhism as a substitute for materialism. It's not liberating. Tread carefully. Is there a middle ground in which two orthodoxes called Buddhism, called materialism, are not a priority in our life. With the wisdom to recognise what's useful and valid. With the wisdom to recognise what's not useful and not valid. To chart a way of exploration and discovery which at no point in it brings about one new psychological prison in substitute for another. Even as we sit here with those lovely statues behind us. Stay there for one purpose—to remind all of us of a good posture. <laughs> <laughs> My home has Buddha statues, frankly, all over the place: toilet, bedroom, little library walk in the front door frames of Rava and Sita and Radha. Krishna Shiva and Bhavati Krishna and Arjuna from the Gita all, all around my house don't tell anybody I love religion But it's got to have a low profile. There's much more important things than upholding and sustaining a religion, including Buddhism, even though I have a lifelong connection with it. Lifelong, since I was a young guy hitchhiking to India. 1967, 40 years ago. Far more important things alright Christopher said enough too much mm-hmm. Shailaji how long did you spend in India and Thailand and these places about seven yes. yeah mm-hmm. any news? Hmm? anything anything you'd like to should we take a little break ah um, yes that's a yeah, good idea <laughs> <laughs> wisdom already is it so we'll have a five-minute break, <laughs> Bless. and um, we tease each other. It'll be a banter going back and forth. I mean, it's, it's a non-duality retreat, remember. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, have a five-minute break. I'll uh, give the, sh- the gong a ring, and, uh, and then uh, Shaila will speak to you. We'll have a, a short uh, sitting for a few minutes at the end, and then uh, end up.